Hello there, and welcome back to The Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reassess movies that you love to hate. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And boy, oh boy, have we got a, have we got a shiny, sparkly treat for you guys today. <laughs> it's true, though, right? It's um, Lewis, why don't you tell us what movie we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we will be discussing the 1984 romantic comedy musical rhinestone <laughs> yes uh starring dolly parton and sylvester stallone yeah yes. yeah <laughs> that's, that's, i i think that would be enough to sell a lot of people on this movie yeah it really should be i mean uh dolly parton's incredible sylvester stallone not it, as much but at least he's a character he's something he's 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 in it <laughs> that's yeah yeah he He's, in fact, a presence in this film in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this this movie has a really shitty uh, perception um, online based on what I could tell. Um, I did see a few, you know, just when I would type in the movie into, into Google or whatever, I would see a few hints here and there that it's something of a cult classic. But by and large, people do not like this film. Yeah, you know, I, I had never heard of this film until we started doing some research uh, for the podcast, or I should say until the algorithm told us we had to do there this movie. Go. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I and I don't think it's, I think it's a cult classic to people who like Dolly Parton, perhaps. That's uh, fair. I, I can see that. I, I can't even imagine like Sylvester Stallone fans you know oh, batting God. an eye at this film he he's disowned it he's he's publicly distanced distanced himself from it um a couple times from what i could find yeah he has some really uh some really strange uh like just talking points he says almost every time about it and uh one of them is like he wanted he he was gonna write it and he wanted to make it more of a dark comedy oh and God. he talks about like <laughs> he said something about like uh he's like I wanted to make it dark like Belgian chocolate and it's like oh what no a, what a maniac <laughs> what a, just a monster he, he's a cra- well we'll get to we'll get to Sly we'll get to him um but yeah the, this movie made twenty one million out of a twenty eight million budget which is pretty horrible um. In addition to Stallone distancing himself, the screenwriter Phil Phil Alden Robinson, who also wrote Field of Dreams and Some of All Fears, um, and the director Bob Clark, who directed A Christmas Story, Black Christmas, Porky's, um, they've all they've all stepped away from this thing. They um, they do not want to um, be identified with it um, as as much as possible. Yeah, that fact is really interesting. I mean, I don't think I've seen all that many films that have had basically every person back away from it um, besides maybe like Batman and Robin. But even then, mm, yes, I, mean, I think Joel Schumacher somewhat supports that film still. That, uh, that, that, Batman and Robin is probably a film we're going to get to down the line. Um, but yeah, that's true. We have to save this content for later. <laughs> no, more, no more Batman talk. We'll cut okay, the Batman talk no, right now. Um, but in, in addition to, to that, to having pretty much all the all the main players besides Sally Parton, as far as we could tell, step away from this movie. Um, it, it won a number of awards at at, uh, at our favorite, the Golden Raspberry Awards. <laughs> yeah, the Razzies. Uh, for those of you who are not aware of the Razzies, there. This award show that uh, I think it happens right around the same time as uh, the Oscars. Uh, yeah, uh, I think so. I think orig- I mean originally it, it was like an Oscar night uh, supplementary award show started by this guy John Wilson. Uh, uh, like went yeah, he went to uh, UCLA film school. He I don't know just had his chip on his shoulder about like it seems like he had this weird chip on his shoulder about like disco films. Like he just uh, like, I, he it's, dis- he like he dislikes like really them or something. Guy. Yeah, he like really hated uh. Xanadu and then like this one movie that like. Uh, the village people were in and then he just thought god uh, i should be able to publicly shame all of these movies <laughs> I don't like. the whole world he was he was the original like poster poster review youtube guy he he was an he was an early adapter back in the <laughs> 80s <laughs> yeah for sure he was just you know like them he also did this out of his living room and, uh, 
like you know his yep. his podium was made of cardboard and uh yeah, yeah low production quality and uh probably a mouth breather so yeah yeah so john, john wilson to, we're coming for you yeah no we actually we talked about this previously that uh or prior to this podcast that we would probably even have a full episode on the razzies mm -hmm. um i think we could definitely save some time uh put set some time aside for that yeah yeah we we would want to maybe look into um re researching this a little bit more but it's we have, we have strong feelings about the razzies as we do on all subjects and um it, it, it would oh, definitely yeah. support its own episode um so with that said without any further ado let's move on to rhinestone so the film takes place in new york uh during the kind of uh rhinestone cowboy uh musical uh scene musical renaissance musical <laughs> fucking renaissance the rhinestone renaissance <laughs> Um, and uh, Dolly Parton plays the character Jake. Mm -hmm. She is an MC at uh, the Rhinestone Bar. Uh, she makes a, a deal with the uh, the club owner that uh, I if was, she can... I believe his name is Jeff or something. Her her manager. No, it's uh, it's like Frank. Freddie. Freddie. Freddy. Freddy, yeah. Um, so she makes a deal with her boss Freddie that. Uh, if she can find uh, just a nobody off the street to perform in the club, uh, her contract is continued, or was her contract broken? No, she she wanted to get out of her contract because she, um, she she hates him, and um, he he yeah he said that he would he would cut her contract short, um, but if she loses, he would add to her contract, and she would have to sleep with him, which is a pretty grimy detail but it effectively shows how uh, business contracts are inherently exploitative hell yeah fuck business fuck business uh, even a small business like the rhinestone yeah <laughs> <laughs> um anyway yeah so it, it, it's kind of your standard pygmalion my fair lady thing um a talented a talented um individual in a field has to find you know, some random near dwell off the street and transform them and educate them. And, um, and in the process, interpersonal stuff happens between the mentor and mentee. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's worth noting that uh, this time around it is gender swapped. Uh, you know, Dolly yeah, Parton yeah, that's true. Is, the, uh, is the professional in the field mm -hmm. uh, of being a rhinestone cowboy. Mr. <laughs> <Rhinestone laughs> so Stallone is a drum roll, please. Uh, he's just a he's just a cabbie. He's, <laughs> he's just a cabbie. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think he's ever played one before, and if I'm wrong, I don't care because I'm not gonna follow everything Sylvester Stallone has done. But uh, we're sure as shit that he's never gonna play one again. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Unless that's the next Rambo film, which oh I don't God. believe it is. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But yeah, so Sylvester Stallone plays Nick who is actually a pretty likable character in my opinion. He's um he's goofy, he's he's doesn't take himself too seriously, but he's like good-natured and I don't know, in in a, in a movie as kind of light and um in in sugary as this, he he comports himself well as just a likable goof. Yeah, it's it's strange cuz he's because he's not, because he's not. He's, he's not. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's not lovable or a mm -hmm. goof. Uh, usually a macho asshole, but yeah, he doesn't really play that here. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he, and we can get into this in a little bit. He, he does he does throw down with a couple of the, the country bumpkins at one point, but um, but Dolly Parton does too. Yeah. Yeah, is... no, that, that's, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some interesting stuff here. Um, and I think if it wasn't Dolly Parton, probably this movie wouldn't be as good as it is oh ab absolutely for sure i don't think like half of the good uh you know character beats that she uh had mm -hmm. would have been in this film if not for like her presence as an actor and just as like a person who's always kind of put herself forward uh, yeah. in terms of like agency yeah and um so confession this is like the first dolly parton thing i've ever really experienced 
Um, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've heard some of her songs, but I've never really sat down to listen to her or anything. Um, I've certainly, I've, I've definitely never seen her, um, act in anything, but, um, but I, like, I get it now. She's great. She's, she's like, like you said, she, she really carries this film. Um, she's a triple threat. She can, she can act, she can sing, she can play guitar all really well. And, um, and yeah, it, it, this movie would be even beneath our list if like if she wasn't like in yeah it. no definitely I, I i don't think uh if it was just some random actress who actually couldn't sing mm. or play guitar um mm. or had that screen presence yeah this i don't think this movie would have even been nominated for the golden razzie you it know, just it wouldn't just it, it wouldn't have even nobody would even notice it honestly yeah exactly um, but I like um, I, I do like their chemistry, Dolly Parton and um, and Sly. They they even they're they're like polar opposites. Like they even talk different. Like she she speaks really quickly, but she enunciates very well, and it's very clipped and very clear. And she like throws out these amazing insults, um, these amazing like country insults, and she she sings, and her voice is so like powerful. And then you have like uh, Mr. Like Sly Stallone just like mumbling and hollering and screaming his way <laughs> through his um through the songs that he sings, which is a is a sight to see. Yeah, no, that's, I I you know a lot of people have said online like that the songs are awful and that his performance is awful, but like <laughs> I don't know what movie they were watching. That's like that's definitely the point. It's incredible. Uh, it's 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 funny it's it's fucking it's hilarious and like that that's the like you said like that's the thrust of the movie yeah it's it's uh it's absurd to think that he like maybe wasn't on drugs while making this movie i mean he had he had he had to have been he he was he was in too good of a mood um and and we, we should just get the elephant out of the room right now. Um, we are a political podcast. We are a leftist political podcast. And um, Sylvester Stallone is a Donald Trump supporter. And um, yep. and he's a pretty, he has pretty shitty politics. Um, yeah, I mean, just look at the the Expendable films. Oh I my mean, God, yeah. That's his passion project. Uh, Though, even the Rambo films, I mean, we could do an episode on like the last Rambo movie. It's incredibly reactionary. I mean, uh, I've, I've heard the first one. I, I haven't seen the first one, but apparently it has a pretty decent anti-war message to it. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, I think there's like a, there's a generous read of that film. Yeah. Uh, that uh, maybe gives it a little bit more credit in its, in its anti-war meth- message than uh, Sylvester Stallone or mm. the director whose name escapes me was even going for right. um, but, and but seeing yeah, so, as it's Sylvester Stallone he deserves none of our generosity no yeah no I have uh, little to give for people like Sylvester Stallone yeah. for sure so but yeah that's um, that's something we, we definitely had to touch on but we don't have to dwell on um, so going back to the film yeah, so the Dolly Parton digs up um, this guy Nick um, to. Be, it, it, it was a comedy beat. It was like, oh, I'll, she's like, I'll I'll teach the next man that I see, no matter who it is, no matter what conditions he's in, to to sing and to to blow away the critics at the at the rhinestone. And then he his taxi cab barrels into the scene. He falls out of the door. He's like rolling off the ground and everything. Um, yeah, and I guess his motivation to uh, like to actually sing for Dolly Parton in the club is I think like he owes the taxi company money because he like crashes his car. He wants to buy a new taxi cab um, because he, he's so, he's so proud of his job as a taxi driver. Like like that's all he wants. He doesn't want the thousands of dollars that they're offering him. He, He just wants to get his cab back. Oh yeah, that's right. And he even has there's this amazing line that he says. He's like, "I love being a taxi cab driver. I even dress like a taxi." <laughs> <laughs> he has like this. He has this yellow shirt on yeah. that has like it has like the, the like the checkered pattern. Like yeah. the taxi cab. <laughs> that's yet enough. That's uh, the first the first hint of the amazing costumes to come. Um, and also, yeah, I sure. I caught this early on. Uh, I think the first beer that he drinks on screen is a Lone Star. Nice. which is the national beer of Texas um, yeah, yeah. proving his country bona fides. <laughs> so, 
so yeah, Jake um, Dolly Parton takes Nick from his taxi company where where he owes the money. They go to his house before they leave for her for her home of Tennessee, and we get we get another wonderful set um, or the first of the first of the really neat sets that I liked uh, the the funeral home that Nick's family Nick's overbearing wonderfully stereotypical Sopranos esque Italian family um, his parents own and um, he he shows her his first like 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 his level of singing by pounding on the keys of this funeral organ um vibrating up and down like this hyperactive child um blaring out these i think it was tutti frutti (laughs) he blares out tutti frutti he's even less intelligible when he's singing than when he speaks normally um and really i his 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 performances are worth the price of admission for this one yeah for sure and i should say um kind of the the last comedic beat of that specific scene is that uh not only is he playing the organ in a funeral home uh and he's singing tutti frutti but also there is a there is a funeral in progress yeah there there is <laughs> there are some really good I guess you would call it like situational comedy, like these characters that we know and they kind of do, they kind of react to this, to awkward moments or they're kind of thrust into funny situations like that. And um, in physical comedy, um, yeah, that, that that was like the first instance of that that, um, that I thought was really charming. So from the stereotypical New York Italian <laughs> apartment over their business, uh, they go to... Dolly Parton's hometown. Stereotypical in <laughs> hometown. <laughs> stereotypical, uh, yeah, uh, rural Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a weird name, isn't it? Like lepers or something like that, or oh, I'll, um, leapers yeah, or something. Let me, let me look it up right here, really quick. Um, but keep keep going. Yeah, so they go to Dolly Parton's hometown. Uh, they meet her father. They actually stay with her father and her. Uh, like childhood uh, farmhouse uh, and he's the lead singer in in a in a country yeah. western band called like the wild possum or something <laughs> it's all, all the names are very cartoony and appropriate yeah for sure it's it's definitely in like another uh universe where everything is just wacky zany and uh just yeah yeah car- cartoon town so yeah then uh her father uh is tasked with teaching nick how to sing and how to uh, act like a a country western star uh which doesn't work out all that well at first uh they i mean they they, they they try to like teach him how to become a cowboy and and affect and manner as well yeah, that's right. There's this weird scene where like you think there's going to be a montage where they like start making him do like farm work, but they just like have him sit on a cow. Yeah, it's not even a horse. Go, like, it's a cow. Not even a horse. It's he's just on a cow for like I don't know, like ten paces, and then he just gets he gets off, off and, and, and then I think he steps in like a cow pie. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, it's it, yeah. There's some strange montages where uh, what you think is going to happen doesn't mm-hmm. actually happen. Um, but there's some, yeah, there's some great musical moments, uh, in the, in the Tennessee portion of the film, which is probably, I would say, um, most of the film, yeah, uh, most of the film, you know, at least a third of the film, if we're going to, you know, uh, go with the three act structure, which I think the film tries to at least. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, there's the moment where they have (laughs) Sylvester Stallone sing in front of a group of people <laughs> wait the, the I, one where he's on the front porch yeah the one where he's on the front porch and i don't i don't even remember what he does i think he just makes like guttural noises uh he oh no he he, he he tries to sing old mcdonald but it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like it, it not 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 even exaggerating it is like a drunk teenager like doing doing a comedic <laughs> A comedic, over-exaggerated impression of Old MacDonald, but they're so drunk that they just slur every, like literal slur, every, like every word, and 
hollering and you can you can you can like feel how raspy his voice is from hollering and everyone's just staring at him like he's this moron <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great it's it's uh it kind of uh upends the whole like uh city slicker uh in a in goes to the country like stereotypical uh narrative because right. usually like yeah the this, this city slickers you know they get made fun of because they do things in like this cosmopolitan way or like they're kind of like whiny or something mm -hmm. but in this one it's like he's actually just like this total blowhard yes. asshole um, who's a little louder than anybody they've ever met before and he, and and he revels like, in it honestly <laughs> yeah and he revels in it and he doesn't yeah, he's like, yo, your stuff is backwards and stupid, but look how backwards and stupid but I can I'm be. I'm backwarder and stupider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he actually he kind of makes a point of being like the dumbest person in the room uh, at all times. Yeah, which is, which is great. He's a, a yeah. true fail son. It's a, it's a yeah. No, I, I was about to say it's another fail son, uh, folks. If you mm -hmm. if you think we're gonna do films about anything other than fail sons, uh, you and might you've got another thing coming. Podcast. <laughs> um. In keeping with his fail sign um, aesthetic, I think a lot of his clothes, uh, Nick's clothes are really cool. Um, like the taxi cab t-shirt. He he wears another yellow t-shirt. Um, that's honestly something like right out of right out of Urban Outfitters at this point. It's it's a yellow t-shirt. It has just like rib cage over it. It was like it was strangely modern and kind of kind of neat. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely something like I think. Um... You would have seen in New York, like in like uh, like the Bowery area, like you know St. Mark's Place stuff like that mm -hmm. during the, in the eighties. But it's it's just strange that it was like this character's wearing that because this character is like uh, I wouldn't I don't want to call like Sylvester Stallone's character a square, but I guess like he's a total he's normie. A and, he's a dunce. He's <laughs> yeah, he's just like a total dunce. There's no way he'd be like at all up on like yeah like youth culture or anything like that. Also, he's got to be like I don't know like pushing thirty. But I think uh, I think he was supposed to be a little younger than he actually like than Sylvester Stallone is is or was at the time. Yeah, that's probably fair. I think they were trying to code him as a little bit younger, yeah. but it's 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 tough to do. It's Mr. Sloan, the man who looks parentally. He looks like a old. mangled hamburger. Um, <laughs> and again, contrasting with that, Dolly Parton's wardrobe is amazing. Um, throughout the movie, regardless of whether she's on stage performing or not, um, she she is polished and looks great as compared to the frumpled and looks great of a uh, of of Nick, but um, but yeah, apparently she had two, two people of the entire uh, crew were dedicated to providing her wardrobe. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Like, speci like specifically, two two individuals were just for for Miss Parton, and everyone else was um, the other wardrobe person handled everyone else's clothes, which I, yeah. which I thought was funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they go through the whole training um, in defeating the rival. At um, the rival being um, Jake's old old flame from back home, they 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 go through the training montage and the training sequence at in Tennessee, and when they come back to New York, um, hard cut to what well, what were the Italians singing in the in the bar in the restaurant? Um, what's what's that oh, Italian song? Yeah. Oh man. It's like it's like the the quintessential stereotypical Italian song, uh, but there's so many, yeah, and it's like <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it's in Italian. Oh, I forget what it is too. But like, I just instantly had these flashbacks to like yeah, my family <laughs> gatherings there. Yes. Um, and, but what, what's really funny is um, they all pull away, and, and Sylvester Sloan is standing there, and he's in this like god awful rhinestone covered like a yeah. cowboy get up <laughs> it just he's just singing he's just standing there with his shirt tucked in like the the coat's too small and like his parents are standing on either side and i don't know it, it a lot of unintentional as well as intentional comedy in this movie yeah for me for me the uh some of the most i would say unintentional comedy was just like <laughs> seeing the people I know in this film, basically, like as yes. The, yes, the Italian, uh, his his Italian relatives were just uh, <laughs> basically basically your relatives because all Italians are related. All <laughs> Italians are, are related, and there's actually a funny line in the beginning where uh, he picks up probably the the more uh, like 
uh, insensitive part of the film oh, is when he picks yeah, up the, these uh, Japanese the, tourists. The Japanese family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Japanese tourists in his cab, and they want to go to sushi, but he's like, oh, you have to go to an Italian place. <laughs> and, like, he even puts on, like, a fake Italian New York uh, <laughs> kind of cadence. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. even the Japanese family, they start doing some, like, you know, chef kiss Italian stuff. And, <laughs> and I, I remember writing down, I was like, it's okay to be racist against Italians across <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> across across races so uh that stuff is yeah that's really hilarious stuff for uh for all you italian americans out there uh definitely Mm -hmm. definitely watch this film if you uh if you want uh a good hearty laugh at uh at sly and his family's (laughs) agenda but uh Um, after that um scene in in the italian uh, beer hall or wherever they are uh, they Jake goes to uh, her her manager Freddy's uh, he's, he's like really yeah cause cause Jake and Nick have a bit of falling out right they that's right they fight about he, he thinks he's on her level and she's like you're ridiculous and they, they start off in a huff yeah and his his parents are also like involved in that and they're oh, yeah. like saying he's <laughs> he'll never make it and he's ridiculous <laughs> they're like you'll never be your, you idiot just go get your get your taxi like yeah you're not a singer yeah they and i mean rightfully so they, he's probably been singing at the, the family organ uh his whole life no oh, yeah jesus yeah but yeah so they have it's that dead people falling out um and it seems like jake's gonna go to um her manager freddie's fucking disgusting love shack uh which <laughs> is amazing oddly, love shack. yeah i mean it's i think it's the first time in the film i really noticed the sets and i said this is like exactly what some like sleazy 80s club manager would have in his house like just mm-hmm. like the- modern art kind of like stuff he probably found in a catalog uh, remote control for like the bed to spin. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the best part about his love shack apartment is that it uh it's in trump tower folks yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, wait is it is it literally was that lobby filmed in trump tower uh, i don't know about that i i because i mean yeah, that's what they're going they for. Do go, yeah, they go and they go. They do go for. They do go into the lobby, but uh, no, there's a there's an exterior shot in the beginning of the film, uh, mm. and it's yeah, it, is, yeah. It, it, it clearly is Trump Tower. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's Trump Tower in the big gold lettering. Um, Fuck, this movie's prescient. Yeah. This is like <laughs> for this sure. movie is relevant today. Yeah, it, it does say a lot about uh, the. The business practices of, uh, of, of our current of our current administration but yeah, yeah so they um, they go to the, she goes to the apartment it seems like she's just going to give in and say yeah whatever let's do the thing uh i lost <laughs> but uh this mr sloan has this <laughs> amazing scene where he steals a horse uh from another rhinestone from another rhinestone <laughs> cowboy uh and uh he just has this uh, wacky, you know, minute-long uh, escapade through the streets of I, New York. I think they play the Bonanza music too. <laughs> I think you're the right. Bonanza, the Bonanza charge theme, yeah. um, which is, which is very appropriate. And um, yeah, he go, he goes to save Jake, but come to find out that Jake had saved herself. She, um, uh, Nick comes to open the door. And then out comes Freddie flying out because Jake had punched him because he was trying to sexually assault her. Um, but yeah, there. Once again, this, this movie is kind of shockingly modern because it has pr- halfway decent gender politics, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And and like I said, I think if if Dolly Parton uh, wasn't in the film and wasn't right, able to yeah, make yeah, those yeah. decisions, because I imagine she's someone who has quite a bit of say um in, mm, yeah. in her in her character's motivations yeah, yeah. and, and actions even, even then even even in the 80s so it definitely makes sense yeah um so i think it, it just like it makes sense uh yeah and, and, and there's another part where where nick like the, the first time that they're going to dance together when they're in tennessee like he he asks her before he touches her to dance because like she had previous previously established like oh like we're we're strictly business whatever um and, and she says yes but like like I don't know it he weirdly nick is like the most woke 80s rom-com character ever because <laughs> like yeah it's true there's, just... like there's no rape scene no like uh yeah like played for laughs rape scene so that's yeah. that's a plus 
uh, unlike uh, looking at you, John Hughes. Uh, every oh, one of Jesus your films. <laughs> there, there has there has to be a John Hughes film out there that people generally hate that we can do at some point. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, he did Made in Manhattan, but uh, I feel like that mm-hmm. has love somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, so then. No, it is also interesting to note uh, earlier in the film, uh, Jake throws down with uh, she she throws down with her like previous oh, the, uh, the ex, ex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so not only does she like punch Freddie, the you know the the club manager, but she she gets to punch her her Barnett, ex. What's his name? Uh, Barnett. Yeah. Barnett. Barnett. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. She she clocks him out. She she is she she has agency in this movie um yeah, more sure. she has more agency than Sylvester Stallone does <laughs> it's true he just kind of yeah he's just like this weird noodly entity throughout the film and she actually noodly is a very good term things. for that for him <laughs> yeah um so so yeah yeah what happens next so they go she... they yeah so J- Jake saves herself um with with assistance from Nick um they they ride the horse back to the rhinestone and and they have a triumphant final performance and it, it ends on a song and they're, they're making moon eyes at each other and the crowd's going wild and he proves the cynic throng and her contract is torn up and happy ending. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm murky on some of the plot details because, I mean, we should say that the plot is pretty rote. Um, oh, God, yeah. yeah it's like, yeah, the either like the beats are just uh, forgettable uh, or... Evidently yeah <laughs> <laughs> or they're telegraphed a mile away right. um i mean the basically the, the the closing performance is um freddie is there as well because he wants to make sure that he he doesn't lose the bet um because he had gathered up the, the harshest rhinestone country critics in the city um just like specifically so that so that nick would have a harder crowd to play to and when he starts playing um, they're booing him and they're booing him. And then he plays the same song, but like in a different key or something like more upbeat. Yeah. I think like a di- he, different tempo and like, uh, yeah. And a tempo, different key. yeah. Uh, yeah all these music terms. Yeah. Oh no. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm an expert over here. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, he, he does it that way and, and it, it appeals to them and they like it. And then he calls, he calls Jake on stage and she, she starts singing with him. And then Freddie's like, Oh, I lost the bet. I, I lost her. I lost her. And, you know okay that's good because i actually the cop the the version i watched on youtube because neither of us were gonna buy this film <laughs> yes. uh, which sold on amazon for like 50 dollars on dvd which is which insane yeah, which is insane for this film ridiculous uh, and no n- neither library that uh were in the towns we live had it either folks <laughs> so uh, i think we watched different versions and mine cut out somewhere like the moment uh, Jake steps on the stage at the end. So I'm just like, hmm. I, I just assumed everything went fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it closes on their movie. They're just like singing and like they're they're smiling at each other and like that like the credits roll. Okay, yeah, it got yeah, a little so early. You, you, my version, you didn't as much. Um, but yeah, speaking of the performances, there were some great ones, some great musical performances um, throughout. Yeah, there's. I think. Uh, well. So there's the first musical performance kind of like over the credits of the of the film, the opening credits and you just this montage uh, establishing that this is taking place in New York with your usual like, you know, uh, Empire State Building and, uh, you know, uh, Trump Tower. yeah, Trump Tower, <laughs> Trump Tower, <laughs> and Statue of Liberty, you know, the, those two those two things that make you really uh, think of uh, America and freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. Uh, there's the, the second song um, kind of um, is the first song where you realize, oh, this is going to kind of be more like a, a, a musical comedy. Um, there's like this, this like, you know, hard looking, tough rhinestone cowboy, uh, almost more of a like Johnny Cash rhinestone cowboy type guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Who, <laughs> what, a, what an image. Yeah. He starts singing this absurd song about like his his wife oh, yeah, yes, yes. run over by a tractor or something. Yes. Yeah, it was it was like I don't know, like because they set up the scene and it's like, oh, this wild rowdy crowd, they want like some bod and crazy and like like sketchy and 
in like salacious songs or whatever. And then, the, then this Johnny Cash character comes out and starts singing about how his wife like <laughs> got run over by a car or something. Yeah, it's like really brutally talks about her like getting cut in half or something. And yeah, he's just like not a good singer. And <laughs> the crowd is just like, what the hell are we listening to? Yeah, it's um, it pretty good. Um, I think my favorite my favorite song from the movie was um, when when Jake sings. Um, it's it's a real Dolly Parton song. It's what a heartbreak. Um, but she she's just singing it kind of on her own in the in the darkened rhinestone after her and Nick have a have their tough have their tiff mm, and yeah, um, for sure. yeah it, it was just like shockingly poignant and really a really emotional performance in the middle of this absurd movie um, but yeah no it, it was it was great Dolly Parton definitely brings uh, a lot of the the pathos to this film for sure she brings, she brings all the pathos to this film <laughs> yeah no it's i don't think there would be with any without her uh mm-hmm. especially when you have uh songs uh like drinkenstein, drinkenstein. <laughs> yes and um and and there's certainly no pathos to be had when you see what nick is wearing for drinkenstein yeah so um if any of you out there are familiar with with the the country western scene especially in like nashville there was uh one uh taylor uh his last name was nudie so uh there the like kind of the rhinestone yeah nudie he was uh he was like a he was an immigrant i don't know he was i forget where he was from but Hmm. uh the suits he made were called like nudie suits um and those are like they're very flamboyant like rhinestone uh designed suits um and he that's like it's he Sylvester Stallone is kind of wearing like this, like this this nudie suit, as if like you cut pieces off of fifty nudie suits and then like patched them together, uh, and then gave him like a twenty gallon hat. And uh, it's like he went hunting for other rhinestone cowboys and stitched their their hides together. <laughs> Definitely, he's like a he's like a Buffalo Bill from Sons of the Lambs, but he's just making a, a nudie. He's making a nudie suit, I mean, which is basically what he's making in that film. Yeah. Oh, hey. hey. Nice. Um, but yeah, he he yeah, he, he wears that suit, and um, it's it's got the two raccoon tails coming out the coming out the hat. Yeah. <laughs> but the song Drinkenstein, I had um I had heard of it before. I had seen like some cover song of it, That's some cover version of the song. By whom? I don't I don't remember. But oh my God. Uh, it was only a few months ago, and it was like from the movie Rhinestone, and I was like, I don't know what that is. Oh, and that's what gave you the idea for this episode. Yeah, because the algorithm programmed uh, my Twitter feed to scans your brainwaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mm -hmm. our our algorithm, folks, not the Twitter algorithm, but it uh, correct. Yeah, it goes. It's uh, it is. It's everywhere. It is legion. Um, but yeah, what's really funny about about Nick wearing that crazy nudie suit is um. Is later on, uh, Jake's father tries to give him one of his rhinestone outfits. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and Nick's like, oh no, it's it's too dis- it's too gross. It's gaudy. You're you're a good farmer and you're a good man, but you're you got a bad fashion sense. And this suit is ridiculous. And like every other fucking thing that he wears is <laughs> gaudier, is worse than the yeah. thing that was just offered to him. It was, it's yeah, that was probably. I think that one is like it that one seemed like an actual nudie suit uh and i was like oh you should take that that's actually pretty nice i think it had like some kind of like eagle design on the back or something uh it was like yeah no gaudier than anything else but it was this weird moment uh where him and uh dolly parton's father have like this yeah this like camaraderie where they're like yeah we both understand that this thing is ugly and now we're best friends (laughs) yeah they, they put the kayfabe aside for a second um so yeah i, I think that about uh, wraps up our analysis of the film itself um so we could dive into our our section of the podcast where we um talk about or where we mention um the specific areas of craft in in art and the workers that made those things possible um for this movie the, the specific aspects that we liked a lot um, so I guess it's only appropriate to start off with the music in this in this movie is great. Sylvester Stallone, notwithstanding. <laughs> in spite of. In spite of. Yeah, I mean Dolly Parton um, is obviously 
the standout. Um, like I said, I, I had little experience with Dolly Parton before this movie, but I mean, the, the next time I want to, I, I want to find something to listen to, just just to dive into something new. Um, I mean, it may as well be her because she she even even in this most regrettable role of hers, according to some, um, it was enough to sell me sell me on the on the Dolly Parton love. So yeah, um, in addition to Dolly Parton for the, on, on music, um, there's also George Doring, who was listed as a musician, uh, Brian L. McCarty, music coordinator, Walter Murphy, music coordinator, Mike Post, conductor slash score adapter, uh, Ken Runyon, music editor, Armin Steiner, scoring mixer, Larry Weiss, the composer of the song Rhinestone Cowboy and musical consultant. And this is a very important one, um, Tommy Tedesco, who was um, listed on IMDb as a, as a guitarist, um, but he was uncredited in the movie. So we definitely want to give uh, particular particular focus to um, crew cast and crew who don't get a normal um, credit in the film. Yeah, for sure. That's important. I mean, uh, where else are they going to get that credit <laughs> if not us? I mean, on, on this kind of thrown together, uh, do five minutes of research before recording podcast, hey, it's, it's something. <laughs> Yeah. We, we, we do appreciate um, the the uncredited um, contributors to to art and, and work of all form of all forms yeah and this is just yeah one guy we could find I'm sure there's tons more well there's actually yeah I mean we're, we're never gonna get everybody but the the ones that we can get we we will get and there's actually down in um, there's, there's another uncredited uh, crew member that we will give shout out to but um, yeah, let's get to that. So uh, in set design, uh, there is a, another uncredited uh, painter by mm-hmm. the uh, the name of Robert uh, Middish. Uh, I'm just going to say that's how it's pronounced. But uh, you can f- figure that out on IMDb, folks. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the rest of the set design uh, starts with uh, Claudia Rebar, who is the uh, set decorator. Uh, Danielle Maltese, the set designer. Everett Olson, the construction coordinator, Edward T. Reef, the set constructor, and Diane uh, Wager, the set designer. Yeah, I think um, set design is one of those aspects of film production. Even though it's right there in your face, um, it's really easy to overlook something. It's really easy to overlook sets, um, especially in contemporary films where, oh, it's it's a house, it's a room, it's, it's an office building. Um, but getting, getting sets right and getting them to work with the cameras and with the cast, um, and with the lighting and in the recording and everything, um, it's, it's a craft, it's, it's a whole industry into itself. Um, and, and, and I can appreciate a good set, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even the set, like, uh, his, uh, uh Sly's, parents uh upstairs uh, apartment mm. of the uh mortuary yeah it's uh like i think for most people you're just like ah, oh, whatever this is uh this is an apartment but yeah there's just there's just tiny details that like uh really bring the verisimilitude of like this like first generation <laughs> italian family that i appreciated uh you know like it reminded me of my grandparents apartment mm, like just like like the 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 way the table was set up in the tablecloth and everything yeah exactly just like yeah, the random yeah. uh like wallpaper and uh just yeah family photos all around and uh this is like yeah this kind of like old uh old world kind of uh feel to it so yeah i mm. really appreciated that and then obviously the you know like we mentioned previously the both the the rhinestone bar and then the the bar in her hometown mm-hmm. just uh yeah the like the low lit neon uh, feel to it just uh yeah if you don't have a good set decorator or set designer or you know construction coordinator it's not going to have that that same feel to it it's not going to evoke the same you know kind of emotions that we all have and and our usual thoughts when we think oh this is a honky tonk bar yeah i think arguably um for for contemporary pieces it, it you you could say that the goal of designing a good set is to is to um, make it as unnoticeable as possible to make to make it seem to to get that sense of verisimilitude to get that sense of this is something that is happening 
somewhere else in the world um, and just not notice it. Um, I mean, obviously with, with a genre piece, you, you want your sets to be noticeable and memorable, but, um, but yeah, for, for contemporary films, um, making something like a set seem unnoticeable because obviously it belongs there. That, that is, that is a tricky thing to nail and and this film did, did it very well in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, and then moving on to, uh, a section, of the uh of the cast and crew who who made something that um we were very much supposed to pay attention to um <laughs> yes. in a film like this yes. uh the um the the people who make up uh the costume department mm-hmm. for this for this film uh ron heilman uh he's a, a customer uh for the men's costumes uh linda m henriksen is a customer for the uh the women's costumes mm-hmm. uh Thelma Pofel uh, was the costumer for Dolly Parton. Oh, and as Nick mentioned earlier, uh, <laughs> yes. Shirley, uh, Shirley Strom was uh, the second costumer for Dolly Parton. She gets uh, two, folks. She, she gets two and like maybe even three, like maybe Linda, Linda M. Hendrickson like did some costumes for her uh, as well. Who yeah, knows? Maybe, but... maybe she did her civilian clothes and, and um, yeah, Pofel and Strom were... Uh, were were tasked with doing her her rhinestone outfits yeah for sure um yeah but just ron hellman he was like oh, i can i can put together the stuff for the dudes here my uh, nephew my nephew wears this uh taxi cab t-shirt just throw it on him <laughs> um, but yeah so i mean those were uh supposed to be in these these very uh garish and uh you know uh in your face uh costumes and boy howdy were they <laughs> boy howdy there's this great line um in the second portion of the film in, in the tennessee portion when um when sylvester sloan meets dolly parton's ex uh partner both musically and romantically uh the guy named barnett uh, <laughs> where, uh i don't remember what barnett says about sylvester sloan's shirt but uh Sylvester Stallone looks at his shirt and he's like, what are these, uh, slug trails? <laughs> there are some really, there are some great lines in this movie. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some incredible oh, singers. Uh, and it's weird because like, I, I'm not sure if no one was expecting this movie to be a comedy because uh, like they, the way they deliver the lines like are just, they're barely even comedic. Like they're just like, uh, sometimes they're just like really just straight faced yeah uh, or they're really just really quick and you just you could just totally uh just like move on to the next but that's what makes you know. it funnier it's like it's just like it's it's a part of their addiction and and they don't even dwell on the the absurd like probably made up country slang that they that they spit out of their mouths and it, yeah. it, it it's great yeah it is great um my it just like it's a cartoon land where everybody speaks that way so i think my, they don't even pay any attention to it yeah i think my favorite um my favorite quote was barnett dolly parton's ex was um was riffing was riffing uh nick during his first performance he was like oh you suck you can't sing he, he's a city sucker blah, blah blah and then um nick starts firing back and he's like he goes you can always tell when barnett's been over to my house <laughs> the toilet won't flush and the cat's pregnant <laughs> That's Just amazing. Pretty, pretty good bit of, uh, pretty good bit of, bit of sass and slice part. So, Lewis, who, who would you recommend this film to? Um, you know, I would obviously recommend this film to uh, fans of uh, like lesser known '80s musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's obviously a plethora, uh, but I, like I said, I had never heard of this film, and I feel like uh, I'm fairly in tune with uh, like the musical genre. But uh, yeah, I think if you're into uh, 80s musicals or just musicals in general, like mm-hmm. definitely get on this one. Yeah. What about you? Who would you recommend this film um, to? Obviously, any any Dolly Parton fans out there, um, even even just viewing this movie very harshly, even, even taking away all of the things that um, we think it did good or we think it did well, um, and it, like Dolly Parton herself puts forth a, a great performance um, kind of, I'm getting the sense like she always does, but um, it, it's just another one that you've, 
you've probably never seen just because nobody knows about this movie. Um, and like you said, uh, fans of musicals, uh, fans of 80s kitsch, there's a lot of that to go around in this, in this thing. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lighter movie, um, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's a, there's a place for lighter movies in in everyone's uh, viewing schedule, and this one belongs on yours. Yeah, definitely, I agree. And I think, you know, I could even see people uh, saying this is like one of their guilty pleasures. Um, and I think we could even have like a whole episode where we talk about the idea of guilty pleasures, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't feel guilty folks this film is uh delightful and i don't use that word often or ever no you really don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i think it's i think yeah. it's appropriate for this film yeah it is and um i'm totally obviously on board with with your guilty pleasure um conclusion 100 um yeah just watch this movie it's goofy but that's fine that's it hell yeah hell all yeah. right i think uh I think that's all. I think so. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to another ProCon episode. We will uh, we will catch you next week. Um, if you uh, check out our social media, uh, we're going to try to uh, put subtle hints uh, for our the subject of our, our next uh, episode. Yeah, a, uh, each a fun week. game. Yes, a fun game. Uh, so, yeah, look out for that. Uh, look out for just look out for our social media in general <laughs> by the time this episode airs i uh, i imagine it'll exist all right take care folks take care